God was never flippant with what he said. And yet we're willing to say anything, especially now behind a keyboard, behind a screen. The reason words matter is because God matters and because God's word matters. And his word matters for a hurting world. And if we can reflect his love, it's going to be countercultural. We've all been there. It was a stressful day and we've had enough. Everything boils up and our emotions get the best of us. So before we know it, we've let some words fly that we'd really like to reel back in. Early in her marriage, Sarah Molitor had a lot of bitterness and discontent in her heart that came out in the form of some pretty harsh words towards some of the most important people in her life. As our guest shares in her new book, Well Said, this mom of seven had to learn what we all need to learn. We have a choice in how we'll use our words. And when we choose to speak life, it allows the Lord to work through us in ways we never imagined or could dream for our Ourselves. Sarah, welcome to the conversation this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so we were talking a little bit off air. I'm so excited because you're the first person I've ever met that's from where I was born. That's kind of wild. <laughs> Shocked me, actually, because again, just to bring the MyBridge family into our conversation before, you know, like I was asking you, you said you were from Washington State. I was born in Washington State. I wasn't there very long. Dad was in the military. I ask you what city and, and you say Moses Lake, or I said Moses Lake, and you're like, that's where I'm at. And I'm I'm like, wow, a little fun connection, small world. We're excited to have you with us this morning. We're excited to talk about your new book, Well Said. Before we get to know you as an author and the things that God has done in your heart through that process, we'd love to get to know you a little bit as a sister in Christ and mm-hmm. hear how you came to know Jesus. Yeah, I am so thankful. I grew up in a wonderful Christian, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving home. My parents um, both loved and served the Lord and still do. And for that, I am very grateful. You know, you walk along in life and sometimes you hear these like radical testimonies of what the Lord's done in people's life. And my radical testimony is that the Lord really gave me a loving home to grow up in that loved him from the beginning. And I got to grow up in that, walk in that. It didn't preserve me necessarily from some mistakes, but it really built something in me that was super special and that is still there to this day. So I'm forever grateful for that. And I would say that when I was, you know, there are different points in my life when I said yes to the Lord. I remember very specifically when I was about five or six sitting in my 101 Dalmatian room, (laughs) I asked Jesus into my heart and being the uh, chatterbox that I was, I just wasn't sure that he heard me. So about for the next seven days, I asked him in every single day just to double check that point and make sure he really heard me, you know, (laughs) seal the deal. So that was my first encounter with you know, letting the Lord in and asking him to be a part of my life. Later on, there would be more encounters in my teen years. There were more times where I really solidified that. And the more I solidified that, the more it seemed to separate me out of, you know, the world a little bit and Mm -hmm. the things that were happening maybe in my everyday life. Um, And then in college, again, I would say there was a real momentous point of really going my freshman year in, realizing that there were a lot of choices out there Mm -hmm. that I could make. And um, I remember one specific night that there was a party and I was on a softball team and they said, this is going to be super casual. I was very naive. I was like, okay, that sounds great. (laughs) And I, and I went and within minutes I saw what I saw what was happening. And I asked the gal, I said, would you drive me back to my dorm? And she got in the car and she said, you'll get used to it. And I said, I don't, Mm. I don't think I want to. And that was really another solidifying point in the Lord in my life. So from there, he's been faithful. He's been good. Um, Like I said, it haven't been preserved from all the mistakes, but he's definitely been there with me the whole way. Yeah. 
Yeah, so good. I'm curious as far as your writing. So this is your first nonfiction. You wrote a couple mm-hmm. fiction books. Is that right? Two fiction books previously? A uh, couple children, children's books, yeah, actually. Yeah, children's books. Yes, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Thanks for correcting me there. Do you ever think that you were going to be a writer? I don't know that that was a thought in my head at this point in my life. I mean, maybe if you went back to my childhood and you looked at notebooks of writing songs and poems and all the things, I would have had that passion in me. So I definitely think it's something the Lord built inside of me. But for it to come out much later... Hmm was unexpected, you know? And so I, when I got reached out about it, they said, have you ever thought about writing? And I almost was like, no. And then I was like, well, yeah, maybe when I was like six. So let's talk about that. <laughs> and the conversation went from there. And I'm just, I'm so grateful. It's something I didn't expect, but it's something that was kind of dropped in my lap and very evidently the Lord. Okay. So when you say you got reached out to about, have you ever thought mm-hmm. about who was that? What was that about? Yeah. Yeah. Tyndale um, Publishers, which is pretty awesome, reached out to me by email. Email, and it was one of their, uh, I guess, I don't know, you know, the formal title, but she finds people, she right. finds people. And <laughs> she reached out via email and just said hello and wanted to have a conversation. Funny story. I almost hit the spam button because the subject of the email was hello. And I thought that's weird. No one says hello in the subject. (laughs) But thankfully, I read that email and that led to a Zoom call. The Zoom call led to a um, proposal and they basically said, balls in your court, build us a proposal. And I'm like, is someone going to teach me how to do that? Is that is that so? so, And she said, sure, here's a template. And I I think I followed that template to a T. I was just, you know, erasing. Okay, what did she say to write in here? And I'd I'd follow it. And I anyway, I turned that in and they came back to me and said, we'd really love to to have you as a tin author. And so how did you get discovered? Like pod- yeah, were you podcasting question. or like, how did they even know you no, were a person? No, Instagram, apparently. I mean, I guess you never know who's watching and following. She said that her friend had been following me for a couple years and that oftentimes her friends would say, oh, you should check out this person. You should check out this person. So she started following me for probably a period of about six months to a year hmm. and just watch and just watch. So and you then- were posting just like thoughts, ideas, <laughs> things that God was teaching. Yeah. Like, what were, you, what were you posting? Yeah. I mean, our Instagram community has really grown into this cool community of, I would just say, encouragement rooted in biblical truth. Mm. I mean, I I never want to give encouragement that's just, here's what Sarah thinks for the day. I always want to be able to tie it back to what the Lord's doing in my life. And I really try to do that authentically and 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 lovingly, but really rooted in biblical truth. And so I was just sharing our lives, sharing the Lord here and there, bits of everything. And yeah, I guess she just liked <laughs> what she saw and said, I'm going to reach out. Interesting. So why did you start with children's books? Well, that was actually a first reach out. Some A small children's book um, publishing company, they reached out to me called Good and True Media, and they're doing wonderful things with wholesome children's books. And they basically said the same thing. Have you ever thought about writing? And like children's books, those those are my jam. Like if I have a choice, I am sitting down with my kids. I am reading children's books. I'm doing all the voices, all the impressions. That is like where I love to live. <laughs> and they found and you so on Instagram th- also? Also found me on Instagram. <laughs> I know kind of a wild world. And that was pretty special. And I wrote one when I was pregnant with my son called I Grew With You. And then I wrote another one about a year later called The Song That Goes On and on and on and on. And it's a fun, <laughs> yeah, it won't get stuck in your head. I promise every parent's like, oh, I don't know if I want that title, but it's a fun story about joy spreading and that we each have joy that the Lord's placed in us and that we need to share that joy. Hmm. So how'd you feel about your first two books, the two children books? 
how did they do? Not in the sense of just mere dollars yeah. and cents, but as far as impact and your sense of them making a difference. I mean, I hope they do well. You know, I mean, the feedback you get is positive and I hope they do well. The I Grew With You is a very kind of like what you think of like a baby shower book, like a very sweet, you know, sentimental type of book. So that one was really fun to write because it was almost for moms, but it was for children too. Um, But the song that goes on and on and on was a very fun, whimsical, rhyming animals book. And it really, that one probably landed a little bit more in the laps because kids were excited about that one. It was very colorful and bright. And still to this day, I was laughing Stan the other night because my boys want me to read a book to them every night. And I try to do that. And they, they pulled me, they pulled my book and it's a little bit longer. You know, sometimes I'm like short book and they know like pull out this one (laughs) and they pulled my book and I almost wanted to say, no, go grab a short one. Then I thought, Sarah, you can't do that. You wrote that book. (laughs) This is your Your book. Your kids are asking to read your book. And anyway, they ask for it a lot, which I'm super grateful, which hopefully says something that they really love it too. And that other people love it. That's so fun. Yeah. So your latest book uh, called Well Said, talk to us about the genesis of that book. What was in your heart? Why that book? Why now? Yeah. Early on in our marriage, I went through a pretty tough season. And when you say tough season, you know, I don't want people to think like, oh, we fell on hardship and all this. No, it was a tough season because I created it to be Mm. tough. (laughs) And really what was happening is I moved to where you said are my hometown and I didn't want to move there. And I had, you know, a wonderful husband, but I wanted and, 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 and there were all these things I thought I wanted in my head or I thought I had created and none of it was happening. And so as life went along, great things happened. We had our first child, we had our second child and life was truly wonderful. And there was lots of joy, but there was also a lot of bitterness and discontentment taking place in my heart. And I always like to say that like, usually things that are happening are symptoms of other things that are happening. And usually those things are happening deep in your heart and they come out as something else. And for me, the symptom was word vomit. It was coming out in the form of my words. And what started really as a nagging, I would say little things to chip away at my husband because I was frustrated or perceived something. And it really became more than a chipping away. And it kind of became a lifestyle, unfortunately. And that lifestyle led us probably to our lowest point in our marriage. Um, my husband, if you got to meet him, you would know he is the most joyful, extra doses of grace, loves the Lord, loves people, enthusiastic person. And so looking back now to know how that was just tearing at him and how he still stood steady in that. Mm. I am just so grateful. I'm so grateful for the Lord mm. making him steady. Mm. Anyway, we we hit we hit a pretty big low. I hit a pretty big low. And then, you know, I wanted to get out of that pit that I had dug for myself. I, I didn't want to say the things I was saying, but I was. And so I called my parents after a big argument, hoping they would save the day, affirm me and do all the nice things that parents usually do. And thankfully they gave more of a firm, we love you, but mm-hmm. conversation. And that really, you know, I, I'll blame it on the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I think I was ready to hear what they had to say, although I didn't want to, because I knew I needed a change. I just needed an out and I need someone to give me an out because I couldn't make it myself. Mm-hmm. And they gave me an out and they gave me some practical tips and they gave me prayer and all the tools to say, Hey, figure this out and, and let the Lord help you figure it out, but do it, do it quick. Mm-hmm. And so from there, really was the catalyst for a years long journey still to this day, learning to use my words with intention um, and not just intention, but with the heart of Jesus and with joy behind them, not to walk around as a positive Pollyanna, you know, everywhere I go, but to really um, reflect 
who God is in my life. And if, if he's really deep down in my heart, that my words would reflect who he's made me and what he would have me say to people. And that's had a ripple effect, either in my marriage, in my parenting now. And I realize that. And the more I realize it, the more I want to buy in and keep doing it. Yeah, there's so much in that story you just told, uh, Sarah, so much, so much in it, so much richness. <laughs> I think about first, even just your uh, husband's willingness to be gracious in the midst of what sounds like a verbal onslaught that came at times at, at him. And uh, but, you know, I just am walking through a little bit with a, a young lady who was a friend of our family's and she I think she has a similar dynamic that's played out in her young marriage and her husband of two, about a year and a half says, I'm out. He, he's key in his mind. Can't take it anymore. feels like it was abusive and, you know, but you know, the character in your husband to be able to say, you know, I'm, I'm in and we're going to figure this out and work yeah. through it and give it time. And is yeah. definitely is a gift. Um, yeah. And, but you know, statistics say that, you know, all marriages go through it's different ones, different flavors, but we all go mm -hmm. through those really hard times that challenge the very core of our commitment. But if you stick through it and work through it, most of the time, there's the other side. You get to the other yeah. side to a better, richer place, but too many people bail in the midst of it. So kudos to both of you for staying in it. Yeah. Well, thankful for the Lord for, I think just, you know, building that in us that, and for my husband, that that wasn't an option, you know, and he would, he would even say that he would say, that's not an option. Yeah. yeah. I'm so thankful for that resolve and for what the Lord had built in him early on. He came from a very godly legacy and home as well. And I know that's, you know, due to that as well. And I'm, I'm very, very thankful. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the other thing that got my attention in your story is, again, just the wisdom of your parents. Right. And mm -hmm. I've always thought in my like in my past as well, that, like I know I've got someone solid in my life when they can hear my side of the story and reprove me. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, because yeah. obviously I'm giving a bias, not intentionally, but that's just the way we roll. Right. I'm I'm giving my perspective of what happened that favored me in my mind. And for them to have the yeah. discernment to be able to hear where I was wrong and the fortitude and the courage and the character to share that with me is huge. So having parents like that in your life is what, what a gift that is. Huge gift. They still are to this day. God is always at work among us. Early this year, John was deep into several addictions. Then someone connected John to the chain breaker. I felt dead inside and God gave me freedom that day from a lot of things just like that. That day, John chose to make a spiritual U-turn, repenting of his lifestyle and entering into a relationship with Jesus in an expression of saving faith. This spring, John chose to be baptized as a public declaration of the new life he had found. And today, one of John's favorite songs is Rattle by Elevation Worship. This is the sound of troubles rattling. Ever since then, like every time that song comes in, I'm reminded of the graciousness of God bringing me back to life and giving me this hope and joy. He saved me and I can't help but praise Him when that song comes on. We join that celebration, praising God for how He is on the move in the lives of listeners across Nebraska, like John's. Share your story and join the conversation in the Connect Now section at MyBridgeRadio.net. So Sarah, one of the things that you say in your book, you talk about how you spent so much time 
winning with your words that you actually lost a whole lot. And so, first of all, when you say winning, what do you mean? What In what ways were you winning with your words? Tim always jokes that I should have been a lawyer because I'm so good at arguing. Mm. And he says, you will win every argument because you know what to say, you know how to say it, you know just how to frame it. And I'm like, oh, I don't want that to be my gift. <laughs> I, you know, I'm... I mentioned earlier, I was a chatterbox by nature. I grew up talking. My parents would tell you a million miles a minute. And they said, no one could hold a candle, Sarah. Like no one could even, we could barely keep up with your words. And, you know, when you use a lot of words, you, you get really good at what you say, I guess. And so I think, you know, that winning, I know that winning was just that perception that when you're so good at words, sometimes you can just string them together to say what you want to say. And it sounds so good that no one else is going to hold a candle to what you say. And that's really a for better or for worse, right? That's not, it's not always a good thing. I mean, it's a great thing when you can speak words of encouragement and, you know, speak the love of the Lord. But when you can just kind of rattle off anything you want and just keep rattling, no matter how the other person feels or what they say, then it really becomes a loss. I mean, I lost years of wonderful marriage. Hmm. I lost moments that could have been different. And I'm not saying all that to say that the Lord did great things in it. He did redemption. He pulled it out. He's turning it into a really awesome for him story like he always does. But would I want to, you know, not lose that? Yeah. Like I, if I could go back and say, I'd avoid all of that. Absolutely. I'd rather not. Yeah. And again, by God's grace, you didn't lose your marriage, but there are some who have as a result of a similar dynamic in their marriage and some, if they're not careful, will. So what is it? um, I mean, some, obviously many of us grew up on the six and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. So yeah. Talk about it. Obviously you've processed through the the power of words. I'd love to hear kind of thoughts about that. Why, why are our words so important? I think an interesting thing to know is that like, you know, we read in the Bible in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And and he did that by his voice. He did that by his speaking. And I really believe that the Lord was really setting the stage for our words. I believe he knew that the spoken word would be powerful. And that was an emphasis on the spoken word. And so I don't think it's, I don't think it's, you know, happenstance that it started that way, but we're called to reflect God in all we do. And so part of that is reflecting how God would speak. And so you can look at the word and you can see how God speaks throughout it. And when we're not aligning ourselves with that, when I'm not speaking that way, then I'm not ultimately reflecting who he has me to be and who he wants me to be and what he wants me to say. And so words, I think, are of the utmost importance. You know, it's not a coincidence that God gave us one mouth and two of everything else, you know, two of uh, two eyes, two ears. Um, God was never, you know, flippant with what he said. And yet we as a society, we as a culture, we're willing to say anything, especially now behind a keyboard, behind a screen, right. behind whatever work. We're, we're willing to say anything because a lot of people don't see us face to face or, you know, there's hurt inside of us that hasn't been resolved. And the Lord, you know, it comes out as that again, word vomit. And so I think the reason words matter is because God matters Mm -hmm. and because God's word matters and his word matters for a hurting world. And if we can reflect his love, it's going to be what he's called us to be Mm countercultural, you know, out of this world. If you're speaking love and kindness into a situation where normally there's anger and hate and discord, you're going to be different. You're going to be looked at different and people are going to probably stop and be like, why, you know, they might be annoyed, but they're going to probably stop and say, (laughs) why are they speaking that way? Why are you living in joy, even in hardship? 
Well, it's because of one, Jesus, but it's also because he's planted his word in my heart. And out of the overflow of that, my words reflect his, and I want them to in every situation. Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me when you, as you were talking about uh, kind of bringing in Genesis and God spoke mm-hmm. and he created, I thought, yeah, our words create, mm-hmm. right? So our words create people, so relationships, why watch our words? Because our words create. And yeah. what are we just like God's words created in a different but yet profound way? Our words create as well. So that's, yeah. I love that. Uh, and you're really getting into like Proverbs 18, 21, which, you know, that's what's kind of my driving verse of all this and something that's always in my head, which is, you know, the power of death and life is in the tongue and those who eat its fruit reap the consequences. And so you're talking about, he didn't say those who eat the fruit of life reap the, he said mm. who eat its fruit. So like, which fruit are you choosing? Are you choosing that hmm. life fruit? Or are you choosing that death fruit when you're letting those words come out of your mouth? Yeah. My, my wife and I had the privilege of watching our grandchildren for, for a week while my son took a anniversary trip several months ago and uh, on what was fortunately a rare meltdown of my granddaughter. <laughs> uh, she was just, uh, just kind of, I gave her a specific order to not go command. Hey, stop it. You need to, you need to calm down. And she said, I can't, <laughs> uh, which I thought was profound. I think in her mind, she really felt like she couldn't because the, yeah. because yeah. the emotion was so strong. And uh, again, kids, are honest. They just say what's there. I see that in plenty of us adults where we feel like our emotions are so strong and controlling us that we can't control them. And therefore, we can't control our words. So but so talk about, first of all, just the impact that emotion and your ability to or not to handle emotion has plays out in the words that you speak. I felt that so deeply what you were saying, because I know I've had moments in my adulthood where I'm like, I can't get a hold of myself. Yeah. Um, so I think everyone can relate to that because yeah, our emotions are big players and, and, and I'm going to go so far as to say, we allow them to be big players. Mm. Um, God gave us emotions. What a gift, right? Like what a healthy gift, what can be a very healthy gift. Unfortunately, feelings are also faulty. And we, you know, if you, if you view them as the wind, they kind of blow in and then blow out and, and they're faulty like that. And so if we're putting all of our stock into these feelings that blow in and out, our feelings are going to be all over the place and we're going to be all over the place. And so what I'm realizing more and more in my life, even at this point, is that if I can put less stock in feelings, not that they're not healthy, not that they're not good, not that we can't have them, but if I can put less weight to that and more weight into truth and what I know to be true, then my words are going to reflect that truth and not my feelings, hopefully. Right. And the more we practice that, there's a practical application in that, the more we're able to do that. So like when you're talking to your granddaughter and you're saying, calm down, you know, I mean, part of that is you're really saying, please calm down. Like you're having a meltdown. But part of that is also a a training. It's a training to say, I'm not going to let my emotions and all the things that are swirling in my head right now, I'm not going to let them take over and get the better of me. I'm going to be able to have that fruit of the spirit of self-control. And I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to rein it in. And I'm going to, I'm going to look at this situation for what it is. I mean, obviously not maybe as a two-year-old, but as an adult, certainly, um, you know, so when I'm sitting around prepping dinner and my kids are all at the table 
and they're hungry and I'm waiting for their dad to get home because he was supposed to pick up something at the grocery store that, that really hinges my entire dinner. Um, forget the fact that I probably could have gotten it earlier in the week and avoided this whole situation, but that's another <laughs> story. But when I'm sitting there and I'm getting frustrated and I'm letting my feelings of frustration build and build and that starts coming out, where is your dad? He's supposed to be here. He's supposed to, this is so annoying. This is so frustrating. You know, the difference is what do I know to be true? I know that one, your daddy's a hard worker Mm. and he, and he goes to work and he works hard for our family and he takes care of us. I know for two, daddy loves us. And if daddy could be, daddy would be home the minute he got off work. And I know for three, I forgot to go to the grocery store and grab that thing that I should have grabbed. And so what is the truth here? The truth is that we have a dad that loves us, a husband that loves me. He's doing me a favor and going to the store and picking up something I forgot. It's taking a little longer and delaying our dinner. But the truth is that he's just helping us. Hmm. And so my frustration ultimately doesn't really deserve a place at the table because I know the truth. And so, so again, I'm not feelings are not bad, but they are faulty. And if we put all our stock in that, then we we sway farther and farther from what we know to be true and what we've been given. That sounds all good. <laughs> and it is <laughs> yes, good. It does. And it is good. And it is right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but talk to the person who says, I just get these emotions that well up and how, how do I practically make that work in the moment? Yeah. Or, yeah. or how do I, maybe a better way of saying it is, I've got a pattern now established in my life. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So I, that where I've given in, I've given in and, I've, and my emotions mm-hmm. so control me. How do I begin to at least begin to take steps to reverse that? Yeah. Well, first, I think the biggest thing is that you one ask for forgiveness where forgiveness is needed um, because, you know, there's no true heart change without forgiveness. I mean, we can you can you know, you can teach anyone anything. But the fact is, is it's not going to stick if it's not going to stick, if it's not deep in their heart. And so I know for me first and foremost, practically was asking forgiveness from the Lord and from anyone that, you know, I had affected with my words, mainly my husband. And the second was just almost like, this is funny, it works in my head. So maybe it'll work in someone else's head, but almost seeing the alternative. I had the unfortunate gift of seeing the the detriment that it had caused to my marriage and the hard parts that it had caused. And I knew I didn't want that. So what's the alternative? What What's the opposite of that that I can do? And Tim told me something one time in the middle of an argument, which is, you know, super profound. And I've actually carried it with me. And he said, if I had a video on you right now, how would you like what you saw? And I was like, that's so rude. You don't, you know, <laughs> fuel my fire. But truly, not just that, but he also said, if I said this to you, mm. he said, you like, what would you do? And I was like, oh, I would would, you know, you would not be here right now. <laughs> and, but that was a healthy thing for me. It, for, for my mind, it put it in perspective. You know, I had created a habit. Well, habits go both ways. And so for me, I had to start practically walking out, like you said, a way to get out of that. And at first it felt very forced. It felt very unnatural. It was nothing I wanted to do, but I did it because what's the alternative? And I had seen the alternative and I didn't want that. So I started practicing my responses in the mirror, literally. I would I would literally run them through my head, run them through my mouth. I would say them out loud. And so that when he got home and something, thank you, honey, for doing that thing. I love, you know, it sounds so stilted. <laughs> but, 
but it, it starts with some practice. You just have to start somewhere. You know, you're not going to want to start. I didn't want to start, but I just had to start somewhere. And so it started for us. And eventually, and when I say eventually, people are going to be like, darn it, years down the road, you know, months, <laughs> years down the road, it became more natural. And suddenly it was less forced and it was more what was in my heart. And something was building in me that was different. And I was able to control it a lot easier the next time. Now I say that with a grain of salt that, you know, last week I lost my marbles one time, but but it's a process and it's a continuing to be renewed, transformed. But there, there is a practical side. There's a practical side of asking forgiveness and there's a practical side of practice, whether that's in your head, whether it's imagining you're on video, whether it's saying, how would I feel if this person said that to me? Whatever trips your trigger, let it trip your trigger and use that to practice the opposite. There are people unreached. In places so hard to reach. Few have been reached. Few have been reached. Around the world, there are 17,000 people groups, 7,000 of which are still unreached. Meaning these people could live their entire lifetime without meeting a follower of Jesus. Those who don't know or just don't know yet. And unless something changes, they most likely never will. The harvest is plentiful. Activate Global. My Bridge to the Nations. Find out more at mybridgeradio.net. Let's harvest this field from sunrise to sunset. So, Sarah, I'm, I'm curious, like, what, what part does blaming have in a person giving themselves permission to word vomit, <laughs> to to come at someone with that kind of intensity, anger, and frustration? Because in my mind, like, you're not this, like, you, you specifically, you're not this raving mad woman who, for with no trigger whatsoever, just yeah. all of a sudden starts freaking out on people, right? There's something that triggered you. So, and it's easy. And I think that's part of what, in my mind, that's part of what gives me others kind of permission. Again, it may not be a cognitive thing. I'm reacting to you. So it's, it was your fault, actually, you know, that I'm yeah, coming at totally. you this way. So how does managing that perspective and what perspective do we need to come to so that we're not giving ourselves permission to come at our whoever it is, kids, friends, spouses with that kind of intensity? Yeah, you're asking great hard questions and I'd love to pretend like I know it all, but we're just walking through this together. So here we go. Um, You know, I think that blaming bit you're talking about, that's so interesting because I remember looking at Tim and thinking, you have what you want. I didn't even necessarily know what I wanted. I think I had maybe made something up in my head of what I thought I wanted or this picture idea of what, but here I, I, I used that as my fuel to blame. You have your hometown. You have your family all living next door. You have your friends all here. You have your cake and you eat it too. Like, you know, you have everything you want. And I felt like, again, feelings are faulty. I felt like I didn't have what I wanted or what I had pictured the Lord stacking up for me when he, you know, put together this beautiful marriage. And so I used that to fuel my blame. And again, I will fall back a thousand times on, I wish I could have had perspective to say, what do I know to be true? Mm. I just got married to an incredible guy who I prayed for for years and God just dropped that in my lap. Hallelujah. And I got it. And now I want something else. Now I want more. Now I want some, you know, something to soothe it. And I tried to get more things. I got a puppy. I tried that, Stan. <laughs> I got a puppy. I used it as a band-aid. I trained that puppy. I love that puppy. Still did to <laughs> until the day they passed away. But um, no band-aid can fix 
the things that are going on in your heart and that you're letting set root in your heart. And so, you know, I used whatever I could. And I think that's an interesting thing that when you're in that moment, when you're doing those things, you'll use whatever. I mean, Tim could have, he could have said anything, you know, to get me to at like at that point when we had our very big argument, I, it was almost like a tiger waiting to pounce on its prey. I think I was just waiting. Like you just say something. I'm just at my max. I am ready. I had formed the argument in my head. I don't know if anyone else has ever done that. Right. I had formed <laughs> the whole thing and I had played it out and I was ready. He wasn't, I mean, he was unsuspecting, unknowing, you know, walking into this and I think that's another bit about how we use our words so interestingly is oftentimes we go around forming conversations and we form this thing in our head. And then when it doesn't go like we formed or like we planned, we're ready to pounce. Mm. And so that has taken some practice as well. And I think really that falls back on, and I was just talking to my boys about this the other day. Um, I think it's Romans 12 too, that says, be devoted to one another in love, honor others above yourselves. I wanted to honor myself. I wanted to be honored. I wanted him to say, ah, you know, like lift me up on a pedestal <laughs> and honoring others before ourselves, being devoted in love. What God calls us to do is not preforming conversations. It's not making cases where there's no case to make. It's, it's really coming together and um, allowing the Lord to work in and both through of us, you know, in and through both of us, but not letting one person be the pouncer and one person being the prey. Hmm. Wow, that's so good. You were mentioning your seven boys, is that right? Six, six boys, oh, six boys, six, six boys, boys and one girl. And one, one little girl yeah. that we just had. Yeah. So how important is it for parents to be aware of this whole emotions yeah. and, and words being well said mm-hmm. and raising our kids and helping them so that they don't have to figure it out through the school of hard knocks as yeah. they become adults? And uh, yeah. so how do, we, how do we help kind of work this out within our kids? Oh, my goodness. I remember when I had that argument and then, you know, we got through it and, and light bulbs started going off, you know, about that I needed to change. And I remember there was one day where it was like, I mean, it may sound so unprofound to someone else, but as I was walking through, I thought, oh my goodness, my children are hearing Hmm. everything I'm saying. And you know how quickly children pick up on things. I mean, my boys watch a movie or a show right now, and it can be as harmless as harmless gets because I am like that overprotective mom that, you know, checks every show. And yet they walk away and they say something and I'm like, where did you hear that? And they're like, oh, that show. And I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Uh, You know, kids pick up on everything. They're sponges. They are literal sponges. And when that hit me, I was like, oh my goodness. Hmm. Oh, this isn't just for me and Tim. This isn't just for Sarah. This is for my children. And then what about their children? What if I set the tone in their lives and they go about and do the same thing and then they have children and they go about and do the same thing. And I'm suddenly creating a generational thing, a generational ripple have you that that I don't want to be a ripple effect. And that almost like was like the double cut, the little knife going in a little far, like, oh, I've got to stop for my marriage, but I've got to stop for my children too. I can't have them hearing mommy or seeing her like this because I look like a monster. By Honestly, by like, by all means, like from the outside, yelling, screaming, throwing fits. I mean, I look like a two-year-old temper tantrum, like a granddaughter, right? Like having a meltdown. And if that's all they're seeing, 
that's all they're going to model. I mean, we, we reflect what we see for better or for worse. And with, and with kids, it's, it's usually they pull out the worser part and they, you know, in what they see and they amplify it. And, um, you know, when I, when I clued into that, it, it made me want to change all the more. And the cool thing of that is that not that my kids are little angels running around, but the cool thing in that is I'm so thankful that I was able to turn it around then. And I want to, and I want to speak that encouragement to anyone. It doesn't matter how old your kids are, just turn it around now because there's going to be fruit pretty quickly. Kids, I feel like kids tend to switch and and show fruit a lot quicker than we do as adults. You know, it takes us a little bit longer, but I promise you there's going to be fruit from that. And if you don't see it right now, maybe in your teenager, you might see it in their kids. They might be able to make a turnaround for their kids. And then you're going to see it in your grandchildren and you're going to look and you're going to say, I'm so thankful I did the hard work or I did the work to practice and put that in because my grandchildren are benefiting from that. I mean, I feel like you can probably relate to that. My yeah. parents look at my kids and they're like, we want better for our grandchildren um, than we had. And so I want to be a part of that. And I want to have that kind of long-term vision parenting rather than just in the moment parenting. Mm-hmm. That's good. So Sarah, before I let you go, you, you just were given some words of hope to parents about their kids. Give some hope to couples. Maybe I'm listening this morning and I'm going, that's been me. I, I have not used my words well, and I have used my words in ways of venting frustration, anger, sadness, and I've damaged my marriage. And uh, so what hope is there for Yeah, I'd love to tell you, you know, X, Y, Z will happen when you do ABC. But the fact is, is it's the hope in the Lord. I mean, it's hope in Jesus, first of all. But the cool thing is, Stan, is that years ago when this was happening, I wasn't thinking about writing a children's book or writing a book called Well Said. Years ago when this was happening, I wasn't planning on necessarily having seven children and and, you know, building a home with my husband and, and having a safe sanctuary where we live and get, they get to explore and run around. I wasn't thinking of any of that. The Lord did that. Mm-hmm. And so I think we take the small steps that we can take in our capacity and we say, Lord, fill in the rest of the capacity. I need you to help me with the bigger things. And as we do that, I mean, I can like almost envision it in my head. It's, it creates new pathways. It opens up new things. So here we are walking on the road and all of a sudden to the right, something curves off and that's that's the Lord creating something new. And instead of going into a deep, dark forest, there's this awesome path that has unexpected dreams, unexpected things laid out for you, just waiting. And the Lord is just saying, walk, walk in me, walk this out, walk out of it and walk over here. And I'm going to show you some really cool things that I have planned for you. And you can't see them right now. You probably can't even dream them up, but they are so cool. And you're going to really like them. I just know it. And so that would be just my encouragement and my hope for people is that you just, you don't know what the Lord is doing on the other side of your story. Fun fact, I really wanted this book to be called The Other Side of Your Story. And Mm. my publisher was like, that's very wordy, kind of (laughs) like you. Let's shorten it. (laughs) But I wanted that because I wanted people to know that there is another side. And I want you to hear that you're not stuck forever. And you may want to get out right now and you're just looking for a lifeline, someone to pull you out. Take this as that lifeline to pull out, to to get out of there and get out of Dodge and do something different that might change everything, might change your whole course. So good. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you for joining us in the conversation. Thank you for being faithful to share your story, not just with us this morning, but with like lots of people through the book, Well Said. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. We know your time is valuable. 
So we're grateful you chose to spend some of it listening to Morning Conversation, the podcast. If God used this content to bless you, we'd love to have you share it with a friend. Also, when you click subscribe or follow, not only will our next episode be delivered to your podcast app, you'll help raise awareness so others can more easily find this podcast. For more conversations like this, along with songs of hope and stories of God at work, we invite you to listen to MyBridge Radio. Hear it on the MyBridge Radio app or listen online at mybridgeradio.net.